You are listening to the Sports Daily. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. Starting the month of June off with a good one. NBA Finals start tonight. Nuggets and Heat in Denver. We're going to talk about this series. I'm going to talk about another Bob Myers story that I forgot to relay to you yesterday, and it involves LeBron James. More NBA coaching signings. This is an interesting one. The player of the year in college basketball is coming back to college. And one of the more interesting and enigmatic quarterbacks in NFL history. I saw this on Instagram yesterday, and I couldn't believe some of the things that I read about this guy. I'll read them all to you coming up momentarily. All right, let's start tonight. Game one, Nuggets Heat in Denver. And again, Denver is a huge favorite in this series. But Miami has been a huge underdog in every series they've been in, and they're 3-0 and in this series so far. So it's very hard to bet against Miami. As I told you the other day, there's two ways to look at this series. Either you look at it as Miami's a team of destiny, and just like you couldn't believe they beat the three teams that they did, here comes a fourth one that they're going to beat. Or it's like Miami's run has run its course, and Denver is just too good and too big for them. That's the way I'm leaning. I'm not sitting here and saying, well, we'll see how the series plays out, and then I'll tell you my prediction when it's over. Look, I'm leaning towards Denver. I think Denver is the better team. Does the better team always win? Usually in the NBA, yes. But Milwaukee was a better team than the Miami Heat. Heat were probably better than the Knicks. We gave the Knicks too much credit. Boston was a better team than the Heat, and the Heat beat them. So I can't sit here and say that the Heat have no chance to beat the Denver Nuggets. But I like Denver to win this series. I think they're playing better than anybody. They have arguably the best player in the world right now, Nikola Jokic. I don't know how Miami counters him. I don't know how if Miami has enough firepower. You know, I sit here and say that, and then I, as it's coming out of my mouth, I'm like, but Steve, they've been playing great offense for three rounds in the playoffs. What more do you need to see? I know. I'm not arguing any of that. But... I'm supposed to tell you where I'm leaning. I'm never going to say this is a lock and absolutely Denver's winning this and it's not even going to be close or there's no way Denver's losing the series. I can't say that. How can you say that against a Miami team that has literally dispatched three teams that you know you didn't think they had a chance of beating? A team, the Miami Heat, that almost didn't make it out of the playing round. (laughs) And here they are in the NBA Finals with a rotation that goes seven deep. It's just a lot of things working against them. But the one thing that they do have over the Denver Nuggets is a better coach. They do have finals experience, and they have Jimmy Butler. Maybe that's good enough. Maybe I'm just overlooking the fact that Jimmy Butler is going to will this team to an NBA championship. If it happens, I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, my gosh, I'm stunned. How can I be stunned with the way this guy plays in the playoffs and the way this team rallies around him? This team just knows how to win. These guys have been together a few years now. So has Denver's, but Denver's never been on the stage. Who knows? You know, as I said, Denver did dispatch the Lakers in four straight, but those were three of those four games were one possession games with a minute left. Games one, two, and four could have gone either way, Denver and the Lakers. Does the long layoff affect Denver? The fact that they haven't played in 10 days and Miami Heat played on Monday night. Does that play a role? 
I think that's another one of these things where so many people will be like, oh, Denver's rested. They've played better. Miami has to travel. But then if Miami wins tonight, nobody's going to say how wrong they were of that and how irrelevant that information was. If Denver wins, I'm not going to say, yeah, it's because they had 10 days off and Miami looked tired. Miami can look tired for the sole reason that you're playing an altitude in Denver. And a lot of teams end up looking tired when they play the Denver Nuggets because playing at a mile high is different for your body than playing anywhere else. So I have no idea who's going to win tonight. I wish I did because I'll be in Vegas and I could actually bet on it. Maybe I will. Maybe as we get closer to game time, I'll be like, you know what? I just, I think this way about it, but I don't know. I, if you tell me Miami would win game one in Denver and steal one, you could also be like, you know, as, as, as I just said, with the whole Denver's rested, they've got 10 days off that could work against them. That could work as, Oh my God, they're rusty. They haven't played in a game in a week and a half. And Miami just played Monday night. They're in more of a flow because they played really well Monday night and they only take two days off before the next game. And Denver's sitting there on a 10 days rest. Maybe you can only simulate so much in practice. Maybe Miami throws something at them defensively that has them confused and they don't get into the flow that they did when they were playing the Lakers. You just never know. You never know what's going to happen, who's going to show up, what night they're going to show up, and whoever wins game one, it has no bearing on what's going to happen in game two. None whatsoever. If Denver wins by 20 tonight, doesn't mean Miami can't come back and win by six in game two. One game does not bleed into the next one. It is, if it's a seven-game series, it is seven one-game series is what this is. It's what all playoffs are, but very few people look at it that way. They just look at it as, hey, best of seven. But when you just say best of seven, you obviously form your opinion about game two after what you saw in game one. And if the team that won game one wins it handily, you're like, well, why can't they just come out and do that again? Well, because it's not that easy. Because then every team that ever won game one by a large margin would just win every game. So you got to look at it differently. And Miami can do some things. I don't think they're deep enough, but what if Denver has an off-shooting night? I don't think Miami is going to stop Nikola Jokic. Nobody has. He's going to put up, but I'll say the same thing about Nikola Jokic in this series that I did in the Lakers series. The Lakers can't let him go crazy. I said if he's going for 38 points and 20 rebounds and 14 assists – you're going to lose. But if you can keep him in check, 20 to 25 points, 12 to 14 rebounds, 8 to 10 assists, then he's not going crazy. He is their whole team. Everything runs through him. They've got other great players around him. Jamal Murray is turning into a superstar before our very eyes. Even though people forget, he was really good before he blew out his knee. But you got to remember, this is a team that is playing better than anybody in the playoffs. I would have said Miami as well, but then Miami lost three in a row to Boston. Nuggets are just chugging along. Every obstacle thrown in their way, they've beat it. And here we are, NBA Finals. It might not be the finals that's the most flashy. It might not be a finals that draws great ratings. It might not be a finals that you ever watch five seconds of. Tonight, I don't know where I'll be at 5 o'clock, so maybe I won't be able to catch all of the game, but I will talk about it tomorrow. I'll try and catch as much as I can. But matchup-wise, it's fascinating to me because I'm always interested in seeing 
how teams defend Nikola Jokic. You can't do it with one guy. You have to mix up your coverages. They're going to play zone. You know Miami's going to do that. They played it a lot against Boston, and Boston was clueless on how to beat it. So I'm really interested to see what Miami throws out there, if they try and junk it up, gimmick it up, if Jimmy Butler has one of his playoff Jimmy games, if Denver gets in a close game towards the end. I said it during the Lakers series. I don't think Denver, as great as they were during the regular season, 34-7 and at home, they have not lost a postseason game at home. I just don't think someone's going to run the table and win every postseason game at home. I do think they're going to get beat one of these times. And we only got one series left, so it's got to be Miami. If Miami doesn't win a game in Denver, then they have no chance of winning the series because they've only got three home games and four road games. So Miami's got to take one of these first two if they want any chance in this series, and then they got to defend their home court. So I'm looking forward to it. It's not going to be the sexiest of series, not going to be the big names that you're used to in the NBA Finals. There's no Steph. There's no LeBron. There's no Kawhi. Nothing like that. No KD. But two really good teams and two teams, honestly, since the playoffs started that have been playing the best basketball in the NBA. So we want flashiness, but we also want the teams that are playing the best. And these two teams are playing the best. Can't wait for game one tonight in Denver. Okay. Also in the NBA, I remember told you the story yesterday about my encounter and uh, my link to Bob Myers from back in the early 2000s from the Pac-10, well, it was Pac-10 back then, Pac-10 tournament at Staples Center. And the Pac-10 tournament started at Staples Center in 2002. So I got my answer as to what year I met Bob Myers. It was in 2002 at Staples Center. I had him on one of my post-game shows, and I remember him and me and my producer and Sean Farnham hung out uh, at the Staples Center bar after all the games were over and I was done with my work and we're just talking and talking basketball. And as I said yesterday, this guy basically had forgotten more about basketball than I'll ever know just an encyclopedia and I was not surprised to find out 12 years later he ended up becoming the GM of the Golden State Warriors but I specifically remember in March of or end of February 2002 or no it was beginning of March because the Pac-10 conference tournament was the weekend that they announced the selections for that tournament and I'm talking to Bob Myers and he was in the agency world at that point and you know, you started hearing rumblings around that time about this kid out of Akron, Ohio, that was making the covers of the magazines. And oh my gosh, how good is this kid? And I, and I remember asking Bob Myers, I'm like, Bob, you are more dialed in than I am. I'm hearing about this kid. Like, how good is he really? Like, they're calling him the chosen one. And is he really that good? And Bob Myers said to me, he said, Steve, I'm not lying when I say this. He's the best high school basketball player I've ever seen. And I'm like, really? And this was in March of 2002. Then he plays his senior year in 2002 and 2003 and then gets drafted in the 2003 NBA draft. And, you know, this guy has, you know, it's not like that was some sort of revelation, but just the way he described it. I remember him talking about LeBron and him saying, you've just, we've never seen anything like this before. You'll wait till you see him play. His game's going to be on senior year. A lot of them are going to be televised. Watch him play. You'll just He's got athleticism. He's got court vision like magic. He can jump through the roof. He's an athlete that we've just never seen before at his size. And in high school, he just dominates. He's going to be one of the most dominant players who ever played this game, and he's the best high school player I've ever seen. And then 
A year later, he gets drafted, and the rest is history, as they say. Also in the NBA yesterday, one of the other coaching vacancies was filled. I totally forgot that the Detroit Pistons had an opening. And you're like, great, Steve, the Detroit Pistons, they suck. Yes, they do, but they have a good young nucleus. You got Cade Cunningham. You got Jaden Ivey. You've got people to build around on that franchise. They pick up Monty Williams, who comes over from the Suns, and Jesus, $13 million a season for Monty Williams? Like, I guess that's the going rate for a coach who has a coach of the year under his belt and then got blown out twice in a game seven on his home court or blown out twice in an elimination game the last two years in the playoffs. Not my money. Maybe that's the going rate. But $13 million a year for Monty Williams, a six-year, $78.5 million deal. I mean, get your bag, Monty, but Jesus, you might have just fleeced them. I don't know how good of a coach Monty Williams is. I really don't. He wasn't very spectacular when he coached the New Orleans Pelicans. And they might have been the Hornets one, the New Orleans Hornets when he coached them. I can't remember. Then he goes to the Suns, and they have Game 7 at home last year in the Western Conference semifinals, and they're down by 30 at halftime to the Dallas Mavericks. They trade for Kevin Durant during the trade deadline this year. And in the elimination game this year, they were down 30 in the first half to the Denver Nuggets. And they didn't get out of the second round again. So there's two coaching positions still open, Suns and Raptors. It definitely looks like the Suns are hiring from within, and they're going to hire one of the guys that was on Monty's staff last year. Raptors, I have no idea where they're leaning. They've interviewing, they're interviewing everybody and their mother uh, to coach that team. But I don't know where they're headed. So it looks like Doc Rivers is out of a job this year, and it also looks like Rick, um, not Rick, um, Mike Budenholzer, the former Bucks coach, he's going to be out of a job this year. So two head coaches who have NBA titles under their in their resume not going to be coaching this year. I don't think either of them are done. I definitely think they'll latch on with the team next year. But with two positions still open, I don't think I, I don't think either of them are getting the Suns job. Maybe one of them takes the Raptors job. I don't see Doc Rivers going to the Raptors. I could see Budenholzer going there, though. So keep your eyes open for that. The college basketball player of the year last year, Zach Eady from Purdue, is coming back to college. So Purdue will return their starting five, including the player of the year, the Zach Eady. I call it the Zach Eady. <laughs> Zach Eady uh, from Purdue. And look, the guy was dominant last year. You got to give him that. He's seven foot four. He's from Canada. He averaged almost 23 points a game and 13 rebounds. He shot 60% from the field, um, two blocks a game. He was basically unstoppable. However, if you were listening to this podcast the day after Purdue lost as a one seed, only the second one seed in the history of the NCAA tournament to lose to Fairleigh Dickinson, you remember me saying, this guy disappeared. You can't be seven foot four against Fairleigh Dickinson and take one shot in the second half. One. And he wasn't in foul trouble either. So 
While Purdue will definitely be ranked in the top five, maybe even top three to start the season, considering they were Big Ten champions last year and are now returning everybody, and and they were a one seed, I got to believe they're a top three team. But remember, we went over Matt Painter's statistics during the tournament. He can dominate in the regular season, but he's been terrible the last three postseasons. Terrible. So you you have Zach Eady. You have to do better than what he's done the last year. And this guy at seven foot four in college basketball, you got to believe he's going to dominate again, assuming he doesn't get hurt. You pray that he doesn't get hurt. But, man, Purdue's going to be good. But come tournament time, you gotta you gotta play the percentages and you gotta bet against them because they haven't proven a damn thing come tournament time under Matt Painter recently. And finally, this popped up on my Instagram feed in regards to Nick Foles. We remember Nick Foles, quarterback in the NFL, won a Super Bowl with the Philadelphia Eagles, beat Tom Brady. Look at Nick Foles' career. These these are over four slides on Instagram, and I'm just like, you got to be kidding me. These are all true statements about Nick Foles. He's a Super Bowl MVP. He's only one of two quarterbacks to beat Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. Eli Manning was the other. He tied the single-game NFL record with seven passing touchdowns in a game against the Raiders in 2013. He set the single-season NFL record for touchdown-to-interception ratio in 2013 when he threw 27 touchdowns and two interceptions. Also true about Nick Foles. He almost retired in 2016 before winning the Super Bowl after falling out of love with the game. He was traded and replaced by the team he won the Super Bowl for, the Eagles. He went and signed a contract with the Jacksonville Jaguars for $88 million and won zero games as a starting quarterback for them. Do you remember? They played Kansas City in their first game. Everyone was fired up, and he got injured, and he was basically out the rest of that season, and then he never won a game for Jacksonville ever in his career. He's 8-18 and as a starting quarterback for teams that aren't the Philadelphia Eagles. What a bizarre career. Oh, yeah, it gets even more bizarre. Nick Foles has more playoff wins than Boomer Esiason, Dan Fouts, Cam Newton, Warren Moon, and Joe Namath. Do you know that Joe Namath has two playoff wins in his career? I hate to tell you this. If you look at Joe Namath's stats, <laughs> I mean, he would rank in the outside the top 100 of quarterbacks who ever played in the NFL, but... You just hear the name Joe Namath, you just assume, oh, wow, he was great. He won that Super Bowl where he walked off the field with his number one in the air, and they were big underdogs, and they won. Great. Look at Joe Namath's statistics for his career. He was about as average a quarterback as you can get, and the guy won two playoff games. You know what they would say to a quarterback right now who's making 30 to $40 million that has two playoff wins under his belt? He'd be crucified. Yet, I guess Joe Namath gets praised. And he has, like I said, he has more wins than those five quarterbacks. Playoff wins. Boomer Esiason, Dan Fouts, Cam Newton, Warren Moon, Joe Namath. Nick Foles also was beaten out for a starting job by Case Keenum in 2016, Gardner Minshew in 2019, Mitch Trubisky in 2020, 
Andy Dalton in 2021, and Sam Ellinger in 2022. What a bizarre career. He's not a Hall of Famer, but it makes you look back, seeing all the negatives, neg- negatives in his career, it makes you look back and go, how the hell did he achieve the success that he did? And he only did it with that one team. The Eagles had that great run and then stunk with everybody else. Bizarre, bizarre career. Anyway, thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. Please rate, subscribe, and review in Apple Podcasts. I'm in Las Vegas today and for the weekend, so I'll be doing tomorrow's podcast from my room. I'm going to talk a lot about game one of the NBA Finals. I'll try and watch as much as I can tonight. And um, please subscribe. It's the best thing you can do for this podcast, honestly. Please rate and review if you can. And also pass it along to your friends. Let everybody else know about the Sports Daily. So I appreciate you all listening. Thank you very much. And remember, sports will always be the greatest reality show on television. Thank you.